It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Zero friends. Two before the box score. Your off-season edition. Counting down to spring football edition. Uh, St. Louis Battlehawks, number one fan edition. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Uh, I am Nate Edwards. I am one half of your host of the new revamped Before the Box Score. I am gleefully joined tonight by the other half of the revamped Before the Box Score. That's right. It's Mr. Brandon BK Kylie. Hi, BK. What's going on, Nate? How are we doing today, man? I'm good because we get to talk about some football. We'll get to talk about some Mizzou football, and we're going to make it through the offseason the best that we can. Are you cool with that? I love it. Um, we are going to have an interesting offseason because I think there is more excitement and anticipation building about this Mizzou football team in the spring than there has been in quite a while not surrounding a specific player, if that makes sense. Like, last year there was a lot of anticipation because of Kelly Bryant. I don't know how much of it was about the team as a whole. I think if you wanted to look back to that, it was probably like 2014, 2015, when the last time was that I remember this kind of excitement about the team as a whole going into the offseason. There's just a lot of unknown. You know, this is the first time that we've had a full-on regime change since... Gary Pinkle came on because, uh, I mean, obviously Barry Odom cleaned house when he took over, but it was still, you know, kind of it was still him and it was still those guys. Now we got brand new staff, 
who has no SEC experience, no Missouri experience, and they're starting all over with pretty much a brand-new roster. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of unknown. How is he going to run spring football? How is he going to run the black and gold game? What's the team going to look like? So what BK and I wanted to do tonight was go over a couple of the offseason things that we've looked at. And I figured the best place to start is the actual roster. Um, I put a piece up about a month ago looking at the full scholarship count. Um, at the time, we were sitting at 81 scholarships. Um, with We had basically six seniors on offense leaving uh, and 13 seniors on defense leaving after this year, and then a whole bunch of unproven guys behind them. Um, so I guess as Coach Drink and his staff get into recruiting, with all the restrictions that they have in place, obviously. To you, BK, what's the biggest position of need that Coach Trinkwitz and his staff need to address in this recruiting class? Is it cheating if I just go with the obvious with defensive end and I can leave you for the rest? Like, I was looking at the (laughs) roster the other day and trying to figure out, okay, where are they getting edge rush from? Because... I feel pretty good about the depth at defensive tackle. I feel pretty good about the upside at linebacker. You know Nick Bolton's at least going to be good. We've seen some of these corners succeed before. We know what these safeties look like. And we return back to defensive end where I have no idea where the edge rush is coming from. And if you're going to have a question on defense, Mm -hmm. that's not a great one to have considering we've seen at Missouri, if you only have a pass rush and edge rushers that are going to wreak havoc on an opposing offense that can work. You can win with that. But if you have zero stability there, if you have no ability to get off the path, get after the quarterback from the edge, I just don't know if that's going to be able to be a defense that with the offense that I know we're going to talk about a little later on, I don't know if it's going to be able to overcome what are going to be some clear deficiencies in terms of scoring the football. So That's the number one place that I would look at, and I know that they need some guys for the future as well, but, man, I would be starting right now looking at graduate transfers, looking at JUCO guys that might be late additions. Like, Mm -hmm. they need somebody that can come in and be able to give them some sort of impact, not in 2021 or 2022, but right now this season, because I just don't see it on the roster today. You don't. Uh, I think defensive end is absolutely the right answer. I mean, you look at – the projected starters, you have uh, Trey uh, Trey Williams, who took the entire offseason off last year for kind of forced reasons and was not the same guy that we saw at the end of 2018. You have Chris Turner, who allegedly is a defensive end, but we have really yet to see him make any sort of impact at all. Uh, you have the Juco, uh, Cy Martin Jr., who's been on campus for one year and is already going to be gone after this year. After that, Jatorian Hansford, Isaiah McGuire, Zachary Brooks and the incoming Johnny Walker and that's it so you need to load up I, I agree with you get uh, an immediately eligible graduate transfer uh, get a Juco kid in here to just provide bodies uh, because I have not seen really any consistent production from the defensive end and it's it's making my poor little Mizzou heart cry because it just doesn't feel right if the Tigers don't have a pass rusher I mean, when's the last time we've gone this long without any kind of star defensive end? I I don't know, man. I mean, like the mid to late aughts, I, it's, it's got to be that around that period, I would imagine. I just, 
I, I think they should give serious consideration to looking at their defensive tackles and saying, we have so many guys here that it's almost possible we need to kick one of these guys to the outside. And I know we've had this conversation in the past, whether it have, would have been, I mean, last year, I think there were some conversations about what do you do with Elliot? Can he kick outside? Akil Byers, could he be a guy that plays outside? I think this is the type of year where you give serious consideration to some of those conversations of, yeah, maybe it's not going to be a guy that's flying off of the edge and beating the the tackle around the edge. You just need some dudes that can be able to find ways, even if it's rushing the tackle into the quarterback, to be able to get a little bit of pressure. Mm-hmm. And we've seen nothing, you mentioned it from Chris Turner, to suggest that that's going to be him. And on the other side, I don't even know who can I expect to legitimately start on that side of the ball. At the minimum, I know the tackles are going to be good against the run. I know that they at least have the potential to be solid with Pat rushing the passer. I, I think that's got to be a conversation if they're not able to get a guy in that's going to be either the JUCO or the grad transfer route. Yeah. You know, the other the other position that I'm looking at here would – not like it's an immediate you got to have one, but if you look at the running back depth, we lose, uh, well, Dawson Dawning, um, and then Larry Roundtree for sure is gone after this season. Tyler Beatty might make the jump. And, you know, he's been pretty productive. I, I kind of tagged him as my uh, my my VIP, essentially, um, for the 2000, uh, 2019 campaign. He, he's easily uh, the most athletic, most dynamic uh, player that we had. He might make the jump after this year. So if that happens, you are left with uh, a senior Simi Bakari, or at least a redshirt junior at the, at the minimum. Uh, then you have Anthony Watkins, uh, who's – played enough last year to not get the red shirt and then the incoming Elijah Young so you'd have possibly you have three guys at running back and that's again it's not disaster area but that's a lot of untested dudes if Beatty and Roundtree leave to me personally I'd like to see one maybe two especially if you get them out of Texas Uh, what do you think about the running back situation I think you're right. I think that goes more to depth, though, than anything. And a lot of this is going to lie on the belief that I have that, man, I listen, I'm no pro scout. I, I'm watching the same things that other Mizzou fans are watching with the videos and the highlights and everything that you see. But Elijah Young's highlight video, man, he looked special. <laughs> I mean, I, I I fall for some of these dudes sometimes, and I, I, I look back, and it's like Tavon Ross I for some Mizzou fans that oh, are hardcore. Yes. Like, if you remember his highlight film, I was like, this dude is going to be incredible when he gets to Mizzou. Obviously, injuries kind of derailed that, and that could certainly be the case at a position like running back as well, where you could fall, in, fall victim to some of that stuff. But if everything goes according to plan, Elijah Young could be the starter as – early as next year and I wouldn't be surprised if he's really good right away um but I, I think some Mizzou fans listening to you say that Tyler Beatty could make the jump like I, I want to make sure that they understand that that's not crazy because if you're a running back in college football now first of all he's got the perfect style for what the NFL is looking for he's great out of the backfield in the passing game he's a pretty solid blocker out of the passing game as well And he's really effective running inside for his size. And so when you add all of that up, the only thing he can accomplish by coming back another year would be getting beat up even more in the SEC. So when he says that Tyler Beatty could potentially go 
a year from now, that's not crazy. It's probably almost something that we should all be expecting going into 2021 if things go according to plan. And so I, I think a lot of the pressure then jumps to Elijah Young, and we need to see this year what he's going to be capable of. This is when those uh, redshirt rules really come into effect of if he's really good this year, I almost think that he, they shouldn't redshirt him, get him a, enough playing time this season to get him ready for next year, and then kind of expect him to be the guy going into the following season. Absolutely. I think I, I've mentioned this, I think, in every piece that I've written where I'm just full on like embrace the youth movement. Let's <laughs> just get all the young guys in starting positions, uh, get them beat up for this year so they can build to 2020, 2021, 2022. Um, one position that we do have to talk about because there has been some movement is the wide receiver position. Um, obviously, last year was very disappointing. Uh, they were excellent at dropping the football, and that was about the only thing they were super good at. And now uh, we lose Cam Scott, uh, who is in the transfer portal. Uh, BK, I, I have a, I got a question for you. Of of the 25 passes he caught, which one was your favorite? I mean, the funny thing is, like, all of them were pretty impressive. <laughs> he was a guy that yeah, when yeah. he caught the football, it almost always went for an explosive play. And so... I was really excited to see what that looked like in this offense. And now we're not going to have that opportunity to do so. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is the biggest loss in the world. There are a lot of programs across the country that have a Cam Scott on their roster and are like, eh, that guy's fine. We're going to go ahead and move on from him, right? There's a lot of teams like that. The problem is Missouri doesn't have a ton of talent at the position, doesn't have a ton of proven depth at the position although they have a lot of numbers at the position and so you go into this year and it's like all right who's going to be the guys that catch the football and it's a strange question to ask but it really is as simple as like when they line up for game number one Nate who is going to start if they line up in a three or a four wide receiver set who's going to be out there and I honestly don't know the answer to that question we go back to Tyler Beatty. I think he should probably see some time in the slot this year as well if they need to go that direction. So Hell I, yes. I just I, That's Hell where I'm yes. at. Like I want to see Tyler Beatty in the slot. I want to see more of Daniel Parker Jr. regardless of what the formation is. Put him in as an H-back. Put him in as a tight end. Line him up outside when mm-hmm. you need to. Get really creative with some of this stuff and find ways to have fewer receivers on the field because I think it's going to be one of the most limited positions on the roster. So just put fewer of them out there. Yeah. I mean, you have to assume Damon Hazleton Jr. is going to be starting day one. He is the Virginia Tech. Yeah, Virginia Tech grad. Uh, they brought him in for this reason. He is all at ACC. Um, he, he's tall. He catches the ball very well. You have to assume you're bringing him to start. Okay, cool. Honestly, at the slot position, Barrett Bannister. Dude tore it up in the last three games of the year. Way more, uh, I guess, reliable than Dominic Jacinto was. Uh, And on the other side, just a grab bag of CJ Boone, Maurice Massey, Jay Macklin. Like, just pick one. Towski Dove put him. Towski did great against Arkansas. Like, you just got these all these unproven guys. Um, so yeah, I'm with you, Put put DPJ out there. Brendan scales last, uh, last fall apparently was tearing it up before he tore up his knee. Um, so yeah, if you get some double tight end formations out there, limit the receiving core and just kind of ground and pound it. I'm cool with that. Um, 
but you know, I, it seems like drink is is flooding the receivers with uh, quantity. <laughs> and as Napoleon yeah. said, quantity has a quality all of its own, and you got plenty of guys that you can churn through if they're not making plays. Um, so part of me is a little worried just because you don't know what we're going to get. But the other part of me is like, eh, we'll figure it out this year and then we'll be ready for next year. I mean, are you, are you losing sleep over the wide receiver position? Not really. Um, it's a situation where I, I guess it's kind of, I am of two minds here, right? So first I wanted to ask you this before we get into that. Are we sure Hazleton's going to be eligible this year? Because I know drink has talked previously with confidence that Mm. he is going to be able to, but we know mm-hmm. how the NCAA is, man. Like it, it's it's hit and miss <laughs> on this stuff. Like maybe he gets yeah. he gets granted his eligibility. Maybe he doesn't. But do, do you have reason to believe that we are for sure going to be able to see him on the field this year? Did he graduate? Uh, if he graduated, he can. Maybe I, maybe he did. Uh, I'll have to look that up. Maybe I'm missing that. I I don't as know part of it, but. Um, We'll see. I'll look into that as we kind of go here. But as for your questions on the receivers, I guess it kind of depends. And you've written about this extensively this offseason and talked about it extensively in the offseason, both during the coaching search and after we found out the drink was going to be the higher. But if you were expecting the offense to be good this year or you expect this to be a watchable offense at the very minimum, Yes, I am very much worried about the receivers. <laughs> if you <laughs> are just going into this year acknowledging, hey, 6-6 six and six would be a win, find a way to get yourself to a bowl game this year, find a way to make this your 2012 season where you're kind of building for the following year and years, then okay, no, I'm not worried about the receivers because then if you look at it through that perspective, the receivers aren't all that important this year because this year in general is not all of that important. So I guess it kind of depends the lens through which you're going to view this this season. Yeah. And as I've alluded to all offseason, I just I want every baby-faced freshman to get a start. Uh whether that's, you know, first four games of the year, last four games of the year, every game of the year, you know, I want that. You know, we look at this roster and you're thinking of production. We've talked about receiver, we talked about running back. Who's the quarterback? Who's the quarterback? We got Taylor Powell and we have Sean Robinson as the the upperclassmen, okay. Oh, is that, is that, a, is that position important? <laughs> you know, it's funny that we've gotten, you know, almost 20 minutes into this and we haven't even touched the quarterback position. Um, by the way, he's a grad transfer, so that's a bad job oh, by me. I knew okay. that, and then, like, there have been so many questions that have had to be answered this offseason, and I've had so much <laughs> stuff going on personally that I've just lost track of the even even the minimal, uh, you know, the, 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 the slightly important note that he is a grad transfer. So Hazleton will be eligible this year, I would imagine, as a result Thank of God. that. And you Thank can God. never totally uh, put anything to rest with the NCAA, <laughs> but um, Especially with that, that is we'll obviously significant. Yeah. So... So we got Hazleton on the outside, but who's going to throw to him? I mean, mm-hmm. we've I'm I'm pulling up a piece on Coach Looper this week, who is the former co-offensive coordinator at TCU, uh, while Sean Robinson was there. Our boy Sean uh, was very highly rated coming out of high school, and he got plugged into a pretty awful TCU offense. Not his fault. It was really not Coach Loop's fault either, um, but he didn't. He wasn't super impressive, and that's really why he transferred. He seemed pretty disgruntled with the entire way things were working, um, and now he's back with with Coach Loop, and a lot of fans that I've seen are putting a lot of 
lofty expectations on what he can be. Uh, he's obviously super athletic. Um, you know, Coach Busson uh, has already t- uh, taken a dive at uh, Robinson's mobility, uh, talking about the run game that he provides, which is kind of what we expected from Kelly Bryant as well. But the the throwing was accurate. He was over a 60% accuracy, but he loved to throw interceptions. Um, so I guess for me, I would prefer a full-on youth movement with uh, Senior uh, uh, Brady Cook or our Senior Connor Bazalek. But uh, BK, would you like to see Robinson or Powell take the helm, or would you like to see some youth take over here? So I would probably lean youth just because by my nature, that's the way that I would lean. Um, and I thought Connor looked pretty good in the very, very limited opportunities that we saw from him last year. Of course, the problem with that is he's got the ACL situation. So we have no idea if or when he's going to be 100% ready to go. Because it's one thing to be out there on the field. It's one thing to be out there throwing. It's another thing entirely to actually trust your knee and be able to be out there playing your best football when you get into the grind of the SEC schedule. So if that's going to be an issue, I'm kind of here to see them run the football 60 times a game. Like I, I'm, I'm kind of here to see what the <laughs> RPO option um, offense looks like with drink. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, then the next season you go with Connor. So I, I kind of am interested in watching it. I just want to see how that would look with Robinson at the helm. And if it doesn't work, then the following year, you've got other options at the quarterback position that you can turn to. But I, I think to start, I'm not totally opposed to just seeing what it looks like if they go super run heavy. And I know it's not the sexy style of play, but run the hell out of the football, shorten the games, hope that you can get some turnovers defensively, expect that you're going to play quality defense, and then see how many games that you can win that way. It, if you're the worst team... That is typically the easier way to pull off some of the upsets, and I'm not totally opposed to seeing it. Kentucky has made a living off that the past two years, and they've won way more mm-hmm. games than Missouri has. And if we believe that the defense is going to be good, and we do, um, you know, you can shorten the games. That's that's really what I wanted from last year's team. Run heavy, uh, you know, passes to the slot and to the tight end, just kind of matriculate down the field. And they, you know, they could do that to a certain extent, but it, it just dried up as the year went on. Um, 60 times a game. That's a lot. But when you look at uh, both what Coach Looper did at TCU, uh, what Bush Hamden did at Washington, and what uh, Elijah Drinkwitz did at Appalachian State and uh, NC State, it all featured a lot of mobility from the quarterbacks and a lot of run-heavy focus. So I don't think you are too far off as far as what these guys have done in their past and what that could translate here, especially with the skill personnel at hand. The only thing that makes me nervous is that <laughs> offensive line, which yeah. you got you know, Angel Matute, who's never played a snap, Larry Borum, Case Cook, and Hiron White as your upperclassmen, and then you have five sophomores – Two and then two redshirt freshmen and three incoming freshmen, and they're probably not going to start. Uh, BK, do we have an offensive line to run it 60 times? Probably not, but you might not have the offensive line to throw it 30 times either, right? So if you if you want to go True. one way, you could get your quarterback hurt. If you want to go the other way, you might get stuffed at the line for two yard gains consistently. And I don't know which one's worse. I 
I think you go into this season and what you expect, Tyron White and Larry Borum to probably be your tackles. You're going to go with Case Cook at one of the guard positions. And now you got to find your other interior offensive linemen. And so there are worse situations to have than having to replace two productive interior offensive linemen. That being said, it's two pretty good ones. Travor Sims was awesome for Mizzou. Colon Castillo was up and down, maybe more than some Mizzou fans would like to admit, but he was overall a pretty good player for Mizzou, and at least you knew he was going to be there each and every game, and you kind of knew what to expect out of him. So that's not an easy guy to replace, especially when it's somebody that has started as many games as he did. It's a question no matter what the game plan is going to be. The offensive line is a question. The quarterback position is a question. The receivers are a question. It, the game plan is a question. Everything on offense is a question going into this season. And it's why I'm so interested to see the expectations for Drink because as much as we talk about him in the offseason as this offensive guy and this guy that we believe in to lead this team, I don't know that he's got the dudes to do it this year. And so I hope. Yeah. And Nate, you can tell me what you think about this because we are Mizzou fans by nature and we always kind of expect the worst. But I hope that Mizzou fans aren't <laughs> putting too many expectations onto the offense because if they do, I mean, Drink might be setting himself up for failure in year one. And that would be a really disappointing way to go because I don't think it's fair to him. I don't think this is the year that we're going to be able to judge what he is as an offensive mind. I agree. Um, like I said, all season, expect five and seven. You know, don't expect really anything at all from this team. Uh, even if we kept Barry Odom, it wasn't going to be super great. Um, and then overhauling the whole thing is not going to do us fa- any favors either. Keep in mind, you know, what Bill C sent out his returning production numbers earlier this month. Uh, Missouri came in at 99th in the nation with only 53% of its production re- returning from last year's team. That's 64% of the defense and only 43% of the offense, which is like 110th in the entire nation. So it's not a bunch of dudes who have had any experience. Um, This is going to be kind of a rough offensive year. And I I think Drink has said all the right things. Um, He's certainly not coming in like Willie Fritz did at Florida State and say, I don't know what everyone's (laughs) talking about. These guys look great, and then fart out you know, four wins. Um, he's not doing that, but he's also not pulling a Scott Frost who came in and said, this team is garbage. Give me four years. Like he's not doing that either. So he's saying all the right things and he's getting all the little PR wins, which is good, but you got to come to break and do not grade him on this year zero. Um, you know, as far as offensive line goes, we've seen case cook dabble at guard and center, you know, and we, I think of the backup guard, Xavier Delgado got the most snaps last year. So who knows how that fleshes out, but um, yeah, I think it's going to be a rough year, but you got to hope, and I said this in my uh, expectations for this year piece from back in January, you got to hope that even with a five or six win season, you get a recruiting class that is 10, 15 spots better than where we finished and adds a little exclamation point a little push as we go into next year's offseason and one of the really interesting things that you noticed uh, BK was drink talking about expanding the recruiting footprint you want to expand on that a little bit yourself yeah I'd love to actually um 
I found an interview that he did with Brendan Weiss and TJ Moe of the Big 550 KTRS here in St. Louis. And Drink talked pretty openly. And this is one thing that I think Mizzou fans are really going to like about him is if you ask him a question, he's going to give you an honest answer. Now, it might not be what you want to hear, but oftentimes it is, first of all. And second of all, it's kind of refreshing because for the last 20 years, this has not been the case for Mizzou football coaches. As many great things as there are to say about Gary Pinkle, he wasn't exactly the most interesting interview. He wasn't going to answer your question. He was going to get his talking points out, and he was going to move on from the question, even if it had nothing to do with what you asked him. And Barry Odom just had no interest in answering your questions. And that's not a bad thing, necessarily. There's a lot of coaches that are successful that way. This is just different. It's neither good nor bad. It is just different. And if I'm a fan, I think it's a good thing. Um, But on to the actual content of the matter – So he was asked, Coach Drink was asked about his recruiting profile and what he wants to do while he's at Missouri. And I hadn't seen any specifics on where he was going to be really targeting prior to this interview, but he basically said the obvious of it all starts with Missouri. That's the answer you would anticipate. And he said the right things when it came to recruiting this state, and he's already had some success in doing so. But after that is where the interesting part came. So he says, Columbia has three direct flights. It has Denver, Dallas, and Chicago. We have to make Denver, Dallas, and Chicago a footprint for us in recruiting. And then after that, we have to go where our talent connections are. There will be some Houston, Atlanta, Florida, North Carolina. But for the most part, when you talk about Mizzou football and our recruiting footprint, you will be talking about Denver, Dallas, Chicago, and the state of Missouri in a 400-mile radius. So basically he's saying, Missouri, go about 400 miles around. And then Denver, Dallas, Chicago. Those are the three cities that you need to know. Denver, Dallas, Chicago. So Dallas is no surprise. We've all seen Missouri successfully recruit Dallas for a couple decades at this point. It was one of the points of emphasis for Gary Pinkle. It was uber successful under Pinkle and then continued to be successful under Barry Odom. Denver and Chicago are the interesting additions to this list. I went through and tried to find the last time that Missouri landed a recruit from Denver Or Chicago. It doesn't exist. The player is not there. I went through the entire Rivals database, which goes back almost 20 years. Missouri has never landed a player from Denver. Missouri has never landed a player from Chicago. Now, they have landed Albert O, for instance, who was from Springfield, Illinois. But you have to go like two hours outside of the city to find anybody that Missouri has landed from the state of Illinois that's even close to Chicago. And there's been no player from the entire state of Colorado in the Rivals era that has committed to the University of Missouri, which is an unbelievable feat, but it is actually a real statistic. And so I'm fascinated by this game plan. I'm not surprised at all that Dallas is on there. I'm not surprised at all at the focus that he has on the state of Missouri. The Dallas, or excuse me, the Chicago and the Denver points of emphasis. Nate, I'm really interested in your perspective here. It makes sense in terms of, obviously, the flights. And if you go to Mizzou, like both of us did, you will see a ton of people at the university that are students there from both Chicago and Denver. Missouri has a, Mizzou has a footprint in both cities. It just hasn't exactly mm-hmm. extended to the football team over the years. What do you think about this concept? I think like half of my friends in college were Northwestern rejects, sorry, no offense, from Chicago. So I know it was big in that area, and then everybody else was from Texas. Um, 
I like the concept of the attack, right? Hey, it's easy to get here because uh, there's a direct flight. I like that thought. Colorado recruiting. So I looked back uh, four years, and Colorado in kind of the composite rankings has had five, six, six, five, uh, six four stars. And they signed with Oregon, Nebraska, uh, two with Nebraska, one with Oregon. Uh, Virginia nabbed one, Washington nabbed one. There's just a, it's a glut of three stars, and I think Littleton is a suburb of Denver. Mm-hmm. I'm not super up on my Denver geography. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, but kind of what you expect, you know, the big city has most of the talent, and then you have smaller uh, rural high schools out there that, you know, turn out a three-star here or there. So it's kind of like, it's almost as if he is saying, look, we, we can really, we can nab a few four-stars, but most of them are going to be three stars that we develop. And because we're not going to win every battle in Texas, let's expand it to Colorado. Let's expand it to Illinois, you know, to Chicago area just to get more access to more three stars. And I'm not opposed to that. You know, the more battles that you put yourself into conceivably, the more that you can win. Um, but Colorado doesn't strike me as like a super hotbed of college football um, outside of Boulder. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I'm really curious the, the quality of athlete, the type of athlete that you get. Cause just looking at the past, you know, four years, it's basically a lot of linemen, which you can get, you know, in Alabama, Missouri, Louisiana, places like that. But I, I'm curious, it does pique my interest and I'm, I'm interested to see how it works. Cause how many Colorado kids grow up saying, I want to play in the SEC. I don't know. I'd like to know the answer though. Because go ahead and name off the sco- the schools that you said that those four stars uh, committed to. Uh, Oregon, Nebraska, Virginia, and Washington. So Oregon, nothing you can really do about it. Washington, that's a beautiful university, and they've been great over the last decade, basically, since Peterson's been up there. And now we'll see what happens moving forward. The others, those are schools Mizzou can recruit against. And... I think yeah. the selling point, if I'm drink, is saying what you just mentioned. Have you ever wanted to play in the SEC? Did you want to go to a place where your parents could actually watch you every single weekend if they just get on a flight that's probably, what, two and a half hours to come to the University of Missouri? It's a direct mm-hmm. flight. They could come watch you every weekend. Because if you've ever wanted to do so, this is the only school where that's possible. And so it's it's a really yeah. strong selling point. Now, is it going to work? I don't know. And that's ultimately where we're going to need to see the results in order to actually say anything po- case positive about this. But it's interesting, man. I, 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 I wish I could give you a more firm answer on this, but we just don't know what this is ultimately going to lead mm-hmm. to because it's never been tried. Even if you look back at what Missouri has done in terms of offering players from the state of Colorado, they've offered more for the 2020 and 21 class than they had in the entire previous history of rivals for the state of Colorado. (laughs) And so this is their first time even attempting to land any of these players from the state of Colorado. They just never recruited the area, despite the fact that they had this, I guess, quote unquote, built in advantage of having the direct flight from Columbia to Denver. So I guess my point is this. I don't know if it's going to work. It may very well ultimately kind of blow up in his face the way that some of Gary Pinkle's flip and recruiting to the Southeast did whenever he did that and got out of the state of Texas. It might not work. 
cough, cough, Florida, cough, Tim cough. Cal- great. Um, that being said, though, I do think this staff seems to have more energy than the previous staff did, and I think there's something to that. Agreed. And if they're willing to put the work in, and they're able to not take away a lot from the other places that they're already recruiting, and they can just add this on to some of that, I think it's a really interesting idea that could potentially actually give them some tangible results. So I'm here for it. Yeah. I'll be very curious to see how it works out. Um, and then lastly, I think we, uh, we are, Oh gosh, less than two weeks away uh, from spring football. Occurring. Uh, now most of that, I know most of it, we're not going to be able to watch or the, although I don't know is I have not heard anything about, open open to the media or anything like that i know odom last year was a little bit more open with uh allowing media access during spring football have you heard anything about what coach drink is going to do or schedules or anything like that i haven't yet typically we get that about a week or two in advance um i'm not sure what the access is going to be i've been impressed with the amount of access that he's given to people so far not necessarily in terms of inside of the program but the interviews that he's doing publicly, the engagements that he's done. He's done a lot of public speaking. These are all things that weren't necessarily the case. And again, this is neither good nor bad, just different than what Barry Odom did at Mizzou. So if he continues following in that line, I would expect that it's going to be reasonably open. That being said, a lot of the time, first-year coaches are super closed off and don't want you to see anything. I think the smarter way to handle it is to allow the media to go to these practices so they know how to tamp down expectations potentially or get people excited Mm -hmm. depending on what they see in the spring because if you don't do that and the media has no idea what to expect from the team which is kind of the position we're in right now or at least most people are in right now and then you get to the season and they suck and nobody was able to see this in the spring well now you've got a situation where expectations potentially could get out of whack and Mm -hmm. now people start turning on drink before they really should I hope he does, and I'm really looking forward to the black and gold game um, when the when the fans get a peek at him too. I guess you know as we get into this, you know the storylines come in. It's obviously going to be new regime, new offense. What does it look like? Um, second story is going to be the quarterback battle. This will be the first time since uh, 2011 that we have had a true open quarterback competition. Um, hadn't thought about that. That's yeah, true, that's when yeah. James Franklin beat out. Blaine Dalton, I think. Um, yeah, the pride woo. of Blue Springs South High School. I've heard a couple of names <laughs> for that gentleman. I won't share him here, but uh, yeah, James Franklin <laughs> beat him out. Um, and it rhymes with Blaine. Yes, it does. Um, so <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. And and I'll tell you, you know, Sean Robinson did not transfer here to sit for two years. So. I'll be really curious if he doesn't get the job, you know, what happens Uh, if Taylor Powell doesn't get the job, what happens? And then the second part is just because you win in the spring doesn't mean you win in the fall because in the fall, Connor Basilak comes back. Um, So it'll be really interesting to see who kind of takes the most snaps of the ones and how they look. So outside of the new offense, outside of the quarterback race, what else are you looking forward to see uh, from the spring version of the Tigers? It kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier of does anybody jump out of the defensive end competition? Because I think it's the biggest and maybe really the only real question on the defense that I have. Now, there's some questions as to who's going to start next to Nick Bolton. But, I mean, we, we know Nick Bolton's going to be good enough to kind of overcome whoever it is that's next to him. 
Um, the, the biggest question defensively is who's going to start a defensive end and can they be competent? Mm-hmm. I don't need you to be good. Just can you get a little bit of pressure on the quarterback and can you hold up against the run? And if you could do both of those things, this defense has the potential to be really good next season once again. So that's mm-hmm. probably one of the biggest things. And then I think we always underrate the offensive line. And I'm glad you brought that up earlier because I think it's significant. But when a team loses its top three leading receivers, we go into the next season and we're like, man, look at all this production that they lost. That's amazing. I don't know how they're going to possibly be able to overcome that. And yet we never really talk about quote unquote production on the offensive line because it's so difficult to quantify. Mizzou's leading or losing probably his three best offensive linemen from a year ago. Three guys that took a ton of snaps over the last two years. And so if you look at production as just a snap share or guys that were in there consistently, Mizzou's losing a ton from those three guys. And that was supposed to be, and it didn't necessarily end up being this way, but the offensive line was supposed to be one of the greatest strengths that Mizzou possibly could have had a year ago. And so I'm really interested to see how that shakes out and just what the new offensive line situation looks like in terms of the coaching as well. That was something that in the past it had kind of gone up and down with the different coaches that we had seen along the offensive line. I'm interested to see what that looks like this year too. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure we're not going to be moving to a 3-3-5 despite the lack of defensive end production. So, yeah, it's it's who is going to pop out at defensive end, who is going to be starting an offensive line. Um, the O-line they trotted out last black and gold game was the O-line that started at Wyoming. So it gives you a pretty good idea. Um, I want to see the tight ends. Is Brennan Scales just as good as he apparently was in fall camp? Uh, do we get to see Messiah Swenson this this shadowy person who was awesome two years ago and then got injured. Like, is he going to show up? I want to see what the tight ends do and how drink uses them. And then yeah, wide receiver combos. Um, who's, who's getting trotted out there. Who's getting the targets. Who has the best rapport with <laughs> whoever's starting a quarterback. Um, <laughs> I'm not too worried about, you know, pound tree or Beatty or anything like that, but like, you just, you just want to see the full thing. You want to see who's getting the reps because this is a, it's it, it's a roster that they're familiar with, but the, the coaching staff is not. So the players know each other. They're starting all over again. So it's kind of a fresh start, and I want to see who's who's taking to the to the playbook the best. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Last thing for you yeah. real quick. Before we go, I'm really interested to see where the creativity is with the offense. I don't know how much we'll see that mm-hmm. in spring, but is Tyler Beatty lighting up in the slot? Are we going to see a little bit of a guy like Daniel Parker Jr. maybe lining up? when they're in shotgun is he going to line up next to the quarterback in certain situations to be able to get him a matchup like what what are the kinds of things that drink is willing or able to do with this offense that are just creative to to utilize the matchups because that's something they didn't do enough a year ago they've got some guys as much as we've been kind of down on the offense they do have some guys that can potentially get some really intriguing matchups either on the outside or just by lining them up in different places or using motion to be able to create mismatches, whatever it may be. But I'm, I'm, I don't know how much we'll be able to see this in the spring again, but that's something I'm going to be really interested in seeing from drink is how much are you willing to utilize your creativity right away to give your offense some advantages that it doesn't have with the obvious personnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. And then, of course, after the spring's over, then we watch the transfer portal and all that drama. So there's, there's a lot to look at. Uh, it's a long offseason, obviously, but we can find some little morsels to chew on uh, as we as we make our way to the beginning of the uh, anticipated, feared, I don't know, 2020 season. 
BK and I will be here to walk you through it and talk about all things Tigers. So, uh, BK, thanks for joining me, and welcome back to St. Louis, sir. We missed you. My man, I appreciate you. I am really excited to be able to do it. This is not something I was able to do when I was in Kansas City. I don't. I feel like I'm allowed to say that. Um, <laughs> I am able to do it now, and I'm able to do it consistently. So I'm really excited to kind of expand my footprint with you guys at Rockham Nation to be able to not just have the writing on the website, but also now to be able to come at you in an audio form as well. Excited to be able to do this with you consistently, Nate. I know I... I don't want to make you blush over here, but I have a lot of respect for the work that you put in and the pieces that you're able to put together. I mean, there are very few people just for our listeners that have the same kind of education and information on some of the coaches specifically that we are looking at for this Mizzou roster and really around the country. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to do this with you, man. I'm, I'm really looking forward to what this is ultimately going to bring as the season comes along. I'm honored as well. I think we're going to have a great uh, a great season as far as covering the team. I think it can't get any better. Uh, we'll see if the team can uh, hold up there in as well. So, uh, until next time, uh, for BK, I am Nate Edwards. Thank you for tuning in, as always. Uh, we will be better next time, but we will talk to you then. Take it easy on the spring break, and as always, in our Z's.